Where were you on Sunday? <laughs> it's here all by myself. No, I wasn't here. Always feels weird when church gets snowed out, but do you notice the snow always comes on Sundays and Wednesdays? There is no Mother Nature. It's just the devil in charge of the weather. So we're... Uh, Oh, I forgot to ask my wife if she'd read this. When I call on you, can you use your beautiful reading? When I call on you, though. You never know when it's going to be. So we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We've been going through the book, and uh, it's exciting getting to really just squeeze all the juice out of Everything that's in here, you know, if you just read through a chapter and you don't really allow the Holy Spirit to read between the lines for you and unlock all the stuff that's in there, boy, you can read something over and over again. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just makes it come alive and the light goes on. So hopefully that's what we're experiencing as we, you know, study this. But we're in Second uh, Corinthians going through the book verse by verse and uh, we are in chapter 8. I'm going to read you some verses from there, verses 1 through 6. Let's thank God for the word. I'll read the verses, then we'll jump in, and we'll just unpack everything God put in there for us. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord, that in the middle of the week we can come together as brothers and sisters. Lord, sometimes we don't even realize how refreshing it is for us just to be in your presence and hear the word until we are in your presence and you restore us and you revive us and you give us everything we need to face tomorrow. Lord, we just pray tonight that as we've worshiped you, that our hearts have been prepared, good ground has been prepared to receive the word. And as the Holy Spirit brings it to us, Holy Spirit, drive the truth and the principles and the gems of your word here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, deep into our hearts and let it never leave us. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You know, because the word is eternal and because the Holy Spirit's work is working in us that's eternal, the things that happen in God's presence last forever. I don't know about you, but I don't know anything that man makes that lasts forever. In fact, most of your Christmas presents are probably broken by now. But here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in this great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. What's happening here, and I'm going to I'm going to just kind of give it to you in a nutshell, is the Gentile church here, the churches in Macedonia, the Corinthian church, are taking up an offering to give to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem because the Jewish church is hurting. So what's happening here is that an offering is taken up, and, and there's a lot of moving parts here, but that's the whole idea in a nutshell, and, and we're going to unpack all of this because there's a lot of principles in here for us. 
These next verses deal with the issue of generosity. Say generosity. generosity. Now, if you're cheap, you said that through clenched lips. <laughs> Did you ever meet a cheap person who even when they were being generous, you could see it was painful for them? You know, like... They give you a nickel, and they're like, don't say I never did anything for you, you know. It's, uh, it's two ninety nine, and they let you keep the penny, you know. <laughs> cheap people have a hard time with this, but God doesn't call us to be cheap because God's not cheap. God's not just, you know, meeting out every little crumb, and that's enough for you, and that's all you get. No, he's a generous God, amen. He's liberal. He's gracious. He pours out abundance on his people. Come on, Wednesday night, you're wilting on me already. Hang in there. You know, God has not been cheap with any of us. When you look at the blessing and the favor and the mercy and the grace upon our lives, God's a blessing God. I always say that whenever I'm in lack or whenever I'm, you know, not getting what I think I need, I just, I just begin to confess who God is, that he's a gracious God. He's a blessing God. I mean, he has treasures and blessings for his people. And that's the thing we have to understand. Because God is generous, we should be generous. Because God's not cheap, God's people shouldn't be cheap or stingy. Come on now. So these verses deal about generosity and giving, the issue of giving in the body of Christ. So many people get torqued about giving or churches that talk about giving. Now, I will agree that churches have abused giving. Some churches, that's all it is about giving. They take an offering, a second offering, a special offering. By the time you leave there, you want to call 911 because you've been robbed. Anybody? And if, you, if you've never been in a place like that, God bless you. I hope you never do. But you know what? Coming up the way I came up through, you know, the, the charismatic movement and some of these things, you know, there's a lot of fleecing going on to the sheep. So whenever you talk about giving, now, we've always t teach on giving here because to give is, you know, a blessing that's part of our Christian walk. We don't focus on it. We don't beg for money. And places that do seem to be out of order. But generous giving in the body of Christ is a part of our Christian experience. Now, a huge part of our faith centers around us being part of the body of Christ. You and I are part of a family. We're part of the family of God, the body of Christ, the fellowship of the unashamed. That's a huge part of our faith and our Christian experience as New Testament Christians. As a Christian, I am connected to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ. But I'm also interconnected with every other genuine believer in Christ because Jesus' church is his body. So we're connected to God through Jesus individually. You don't become part of the body if you're not connected to God through Jesus. But once you're connected to God through Jesus, you're also interconnected with everybody else who's part of the family of God. Look around. Look around tonight. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're connected to each other. Some of you are giving each other signs and wonders. And, but uh, I'm like, I'll connect with you, right? But we, we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed, the body of Christ, the family of God. Woo! What a blessing, a big part of our faith. Now, being a child of God makes me part of the family of God, and it brings with it some incredible benefits. If you were here for the last two Wednesdays, Pastor Mike preached this wonderful message on the benefits of God and out of Isaiah, or as out of Isaiah, as he says. <laughs> I always tease him about that. So let him know that I made fun of him on Wednesday night, but... He taught us a great message on the benefits, and, and there's many of them, and we have incredible benefits being in Christ. But 
with, along with the benefits also come some personal responsibilities. Do you, do you notice most people like the benefits more than the responsibilities? Ooh, I like the benefits of salvation. This being saved stuff is really good. I don't like hot places. I want to done well in hell. But you know what? With the benefits come responsibilities. And part of it, now it's dead quiet now. When I was saying benefits, everybody's like, I said my responsibilities. It's, it's part and parcel. It's part of the package, amen? And a lot of people don't, don't want to acknowledge the responsibilities or fulfill the responsibilities. But one of those responsibilities is for us to be generous and gracious with others in the body of Christ. Now, if I'm blessed and I'm well provided for and I'm prospering and my brothers and sisters around me are in distress or they're starving or they're in need and I don't do whatever I can to alleviate their lack, something is wrong with my Christianity. If you didn't get that, let me say it again. If I'm blessed and prosperous and everything's going good for me and I have an abundance of everything and all my needs are met and my brothers and sisters around me are falling apart and they're hungry and they're broken and they don't have clothes and they don't have a winter jacket and they don't have food on the table and I go, ah, oh well, it's good to be me. And I don't do whatever I can to alleviate their need. Something is wrong with my Christianity. Now, we do this with other brothers and sisters in Christ that are in foreign countries and stuff. I mean, we, we give people, Americans are givers. The American church gives the most money and missionaries and all that stuff. Yeah, we get it. We give. But it's easy to be disconnected from those brothers and sisters of ours in foreign fields. Like, did we wake up today praying for our Chinese brothers and sisters that are facing persecution, that have to worship God in secret, that are part of the underground church? Or did we just go about our merry way and say, well, you know, good to be me? Now, I know you came on a Wednesday night. I'm not going to hurt you too bad. But you're going to see when we're done with this, we need to think and act a little bit differently. Why? Because we are part of a family. We're interconnected with each other. Verse 8 starts off with a phrase. It says, brothers and sisters. Now, brothers and sisters, stop right there. That's no accident. It's a reminder of the unique relationship we have with other believers. Now, I'm going to call on Kim to read that scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. And it is going to illustrate the connection we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You, wanna, you can read it right there. All right. For just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But now there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, it is much truer that the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our less presentable parts become much more presentable, whereas our, most, our more presentable parts have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that part which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same care for one another. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Mm. If a part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. Mm. If one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. See, Paul did a masterful job there in 1 Corinthians of showing how interconnected and interdependent we are as the body of Christ. We can't say, well, I just like this part. No, because we need all the other parts. You know, if you go outside and you stub your toe, your whole body hurts. The older you get, the more you know that you get up to go to the bathroom at night for the ninth time. And on the way, you stub the littlest toe you got. And it will, I'm telling you what, it will just. And that's what God wants us to know is we're interconnected, interdependent. So when one part suffers, when part, one part is glorified, when one part is blessed, then, then we have to understand why this is important that we have this concept of the body. Because you and I are expected to be generous and caring and concerned and involved with the parts of the body, even that we don't see before us or the less we think they're less important. No, it all matters and they're all important to us. So 1 Corinthians 12 is a great study. You could spend time in there meditating. How we love and care because we're a family. Now, how we love and care for our immediate family is much different than how we interact with total strangers. Am I correct? The way we love, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't treat a total stranger on the street like they, you're, they were uh, your own child. You wouldn't, you know, and, and conversely, you wouldn't treat your own child like, you know, there was someone you just, you know, sat next to on the bus. And so the concept we've got to get here is because we're family and we're interconnected and every part matters, that we can't treat parts of the body of Christ like they were total strangers. We have to treat them like they were family. Now, you might be listening to this and you're like, I'm getting the concept, Pastor Rick, but you know, there's multiplied millions, billions of Christians all over the planet and different continents. How can, we can't personally know everyone who's part of the body of Christ, but by faith, we must extend an elevated level of care and concern towards those who are genuine members of the body of Christ. By faith, we do this. We extend. And, and that faith is going to have works. It's going to have action. But here's what our faith does. I don't know all the believers all over the world, but because they are part of my family, the body of Christ, I extend an elevated level of care and concern towards them. You say, come on, Pastor, is this even possible? Here's how it's possible. You and I probably don't know any people in Gambia by name. Yet this church has been able to plant a church over in the Gambia and bless the Gambians. Why? Because we had extra money that we didn't know what to do with? Because, you know, someone made us feel good? No, because we have a genuine care and concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't know them. Don't know their names. Don't have their phone number. Can't get one on the phone right now. Maybe Charles. I don't know. But... 
we don't know the Gambians, yet God has used us to bless them. Why? Because we're interconnected. We're part of the family of God. And we, when, when it's time to give, why do we give so liberally? Because we have an elevated level of concern for those who call themselves fellow brothers and sisters. This is what I want you to get tonight. It's conceptual, but then it's a matter of faith, and that faith will produce works, and the works that we produce in giving and being concerned with every part of the family of God is pleasing to the Lord. Next, Paul attributes the generous giving from one church to another to the grace of God. He says, what? We make known to you the grace of God. This is important. God wants us to see that both the opportunity to give and the act of giving itself is evidence of God's grace in our life. Are you able to give? Are you in a position to give? Do you have an opportunity to give? It is the grace of God on your life that puts you in that position. Think about how blessed we are just to have the means to give to someone else to, to impact them in a meaningful way. You know, most of us as Americans sitting here tonight don't think we're rich. But the truth is, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. And when we're able to give to missions and give to relief efforts and give to Israel and give to the hungry in crisis or put food on a neighbor's table or, or help get winter clothes for a poor family, that is absolutely the grace of God on our lives. And we should be thankful for it. We should be as thankful for that grace as we are for the grace to forgive our sins and give us the free gift of salvation. Because if it wasn't for God's grace on our life and his blessing and in prospering his people, we would not have the means to give to bless others. So Paul wanted them to know it's the grace of God. It's not because you're super special, extra, you know, wonderful Corinthian people. We know the Corinthians were a wild bunch. They're crazy. They, they came out of idolatry and immorality and all kinds of nonsense in the Corinthian church. Why? Because it was a thoroughly pagan culture. There are more idols and more gods that were worshipped in this region than almost uh, anywhere. They said in some of the areas where these churches were planted, there were more gods than people that they worshipped. They'd worship anything. Had a lettuce? Yeah, we'll worship that. Yeah. Dog, cat, yeah, we'll worship that. Well, they worshiped everything. And so this pagan idolatry, you know, uh, was in the land. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And here God plants the body of Christ in those areas. And he blesses them to the point where they can be a blessing to others. That is the grace of God. So people give for all different reasons. M many times we don't think... You know, we have the ability or the means, but we're blessed and, and we have the opportunity to give and to support missions and to do outreach. And that is the blessing of God. But when it comes to giving, we have to look at reasons. We have to look at motives. I'm going to look at that a little bit. People give for all kinds of reasons, sometimes the wrong reasons. You know, just the act of giving doesn't make it something that is blessable or pleasing to God or even something that brings a reward. I've known people that gave under compulsion because someone made them feel guilty or forced them and they gave and they didn't seem to be any reward for that giving. I remember as a young Christian, a friend went to some sort of service and they, they, they were so forceful with the offering that he wound up giving his rent money. 
and he, and he said, well, you know, and they were saying things like, God will bless you and God will do it. And get, when it was time to pay rent, he didn't have the rent. So was that God who fleeced him? No, it was giving under compulsion and it wasn't done by grace. It was done by the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. So giving for the wrong reasons can even make us feel good about ourselves at times, but it won't move God and it doesn't bring an eternal reward. So we have to give our motives, uh, you know, we have to be really honest about our motives for giving. You know, at the end of the year, we pass out our giving records here so you can write that stuff off on your taxes. How many take advantage of that? I encourage you to do that. Why? The government doesn't need more of our money to waste. What they're doing with our money... It's just unbelievable, funding, immorality, abortion, all kinds of ridiculous wars and everything you could think of. So, okay, we get tax write-offs for our giving, but I hope you don't give for the tax write-off, right? Why'd you give an offering today? Oh, I'm going to have a good write-off. No, we don't give for a tax write-off. We don't give so people will look at us and say, oh, what a good person. It's what the Pharisees did, the Sadducees did. They went up there, they blew trumpets when it was their time to give. You know, here I am waving the check around so everybody could see it. They have checks back then? Tim, I don't think. So, you know, you know, we don't give, you know, in the eyes of men. So, you know, they think we're good people or we're very pious or, you know, we would get called a philanthropist or to gain the favor of others. Oh, what a big giver. What a, what, you know, what a wonderful Christian. Neither should we give purely out of a sense of religious duty or obligation. You know, you can give out a sense of duty or obligation and there again, there's no reward to it. Why? Because God looks at the heart of the giver. God looks at the heart. Those Pharisees that threw piles of money in the, in the temple treasury, Jesus basically scoffed at them. But here comes a widow who throws two mites in. And Jesus, whoa, 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 look at this. She gave more than everybody else. Wow. Because she didn't give out of her excess. She gave all that she had. Understand there are certain things that motivate God about us being generous and there are certain things that don't. We don't give for the wrong reasons. We don't give for tax write-offs and in the eyes of men. We don't give out of duty or obligation. Jesus had some things to say about giving. Listen to Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That, that's qualifying everything I just said leading up to this. Verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. There's the motive. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But if you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your charitable giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what you've done in secret will reward you openly. Jesus had some things to say about giving and we should, we should consider his words and we should make sure that our hearts line up with his word so that why? We don't give with the wrong motives. Verse 2 tells us about those who were blessed to be able to give in this instant. Listen to verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So let's check out what's being implied there. The people who were giving here, all these believers in Corinth, what they were doing is these believers were giving here and they were Greek Gentile converts to the faith. Now, Paul refers to them as the churches of Macedonia. And their giving is very significant for two reasons. Number one, these people had experienced great persecution and suffering themselves. Look, in that great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy. So the Macedonian church, these Gentile believers here in Corinth were giving and they'd experienced great persecution and subsequent poverty for their commitment to Christ in the midst of the Roman Empire. Remember, we talked about this, you know, where Corinth was, was in the midst of the Roman Empire. So these Corinthian Christians had to make a choice. Were they going to worship Jesus or Caesar? And the churches were persecuted and impoverished in these regions because they had been ruthlessly and systematically stripped of their social status, their wealth, their possessions, and everything they had because they refused to participate in the national idolatry of worshiping Caesar. Every Roman citizen had to go before the altar or the idol or whatever they set up and take a pinch of incense and throw it in and say, hail Caesar or whatever. They, They had to worship Caesar. But Christians wouldn't do that. And the Corinthians wouldn't do that because they worship Jesus alone. And so it cost them financially, socially, monetarily, in every way. They lost their businesses. They lost their houses. They lost their positions and their jobs. Are you getting this? So these are the people that had gone through their own great ordeal of affliction, yet what is the testimony about them? They refused to fall into the system of idol worship, so they gave to the Jerusalem church, the Jewish church, in a liberal way out of their poverty. Man, it's one thing to give out of your abundance. If you got a fistful of hundreds and you give somebody a dollar, it doesn't hurt too much, doesn't it? But if you only have $2 and someone asks for a dollar, you guys walk around with more than $2? You look... Understand, these people gave out of their poverty. They didn't give out of their excess. They didn't give out of their abundance. They gave out of their poverty, and it was a beautiful thing, and it pleased the Lord. Number two, the second reason I want to cover is this. These people were Gentiles giving liberally to a church in Jerusalem that was primarily Jewish. Now, this is significant. Before the gospel, before the cross, before the empty tomb, Jews and Gentiles did not have anything to do with each other. In fact, the more Jewish you were, the less you would want to have any interactions with with Gentiles. You wouldn't eat with them. You wouldn't get in business with them. You'd only do transactions with them, you know, if you absolutely had to. But understand what's happening here. These Gentiles in the church of Jesus Christ are giving all that they have out of their poverty to the Jewish believers in the church of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. What's happening here is they gave sacrificially, and as they did, they shattered the cultural divides that had been a wall between them for centuries. That's powerful. You know, it's one thing to give to somebody you love and you, 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 you know, you just, you know, ah, oh, you know, sure, I share you. But somebody that you were estranged from and isolated from, 
that there was a chasm between you for thousands of years. And here's Gentiles giving to Jews in a, out of their own lack in a way that is shattering the social and racial divides of the day. And that's what I want you to see. God is glorified when in the body of Christ we can transcend the worldly divisions that separate us. Divisions of ethnicity and race and culture and customs, socioeconomic divisions. Come on, when these things are shattered through giving, through, you know, uh, us being concerned and, 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 and that transcends the, the normal divides of the culture, that's an amazing thing and God is well pleased with it. So those were the two reasons why, you know, this was a significant thing. Uh, they gave out of their poverty and they gave liberally. They gave to those of a different culture that they'd been estranged from and they shattered the social divides of the day, showing what? That the body of Christ is more powerful than the divisions of men. And that's something we need to remember, amen, as we give to other people and cultures and groups. You know, we, you say, well, what, you know, why do we have to be concerned about people in China, people in the Gambia, people because they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't look like us. Maybe they don't think like us. Maybe they don't, you know, uh, maybe their governments, it's all different, but we're still one in Christ. So verse 3 nails down three pillars of New Testament giving. This is, a, this is a powerful little verse here, and I want you to get everything out of it. It says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. Now, you might read that and say, okay, wh what's that all about? Well, there's three powerful principles in there, and, and they're pillars of New Testament giving. Number one, we should give as we're able to give. Do you see what it says? According to their ability. It's real quiet. That means if we have much, we should give much. If we have abundance, we should be generous. If we have 10 of one thing and our brother has none, we should share, amen? So we give according to our ability. To whom much is given, much is required. Now, it's not just Spider-Man. That works in the kingdom of God too, okay? We give out of our excess. And we give as we're able to. And that's an important thing. You know, we... We shouldn't, people who are impoverished or poor, you know, we, we shouldn't expect them to carry the bulk. No, it's those of us who are blessed and have abundance. We should do our part, amen? And so, you know, we give according to our ability. You know, I've heard people say before, well, you can't get blood from a stone. Have you ever felt like that? I don't have any of this to give. But we always have something to give. Come on, church, wake up. I said, we always have something to give. Well, I don't have money. Will you have time? Do you have a listening ear? Do you have an encouraging word? Do you have your participation? Do you, you know what I'm saying? It's not always about nickels and dimes and dollars and cents. But some of us have an abundance of time. Some of us have an abundance of experience, an abundance of patience, an abundance you know, of, of wisdom, and we've got to share that and give that as well. So according to our ability, that's the first principle. The second principle of New Testament giving is this. Sometimes it says here, they gave according to the ability, and listen to this, and beyond their ability. Did you hear that? 
it's pretty amazing here. They went through a great ordeal and affliction. They, they were impoverished. But it says here, you know that what? For I testify, and this is Paul testifying, that according to their ability and beyond their ability. So they gave what they could out of, you know, their abundance. Even though they had lack personally, they, they gave sacrificially. And that's what I want you to see. When we give beyond our ability, that's giving sacrificially. Sometimes we can just give out of our abundance. You know, I know a message like this, if you're selfish or self-centered or a taker, this just grates against you. And I want you to know I enjoy that because that is not a godly characteristic. If you're a giver, if you care for others, if you're generous, if you're grateful, none of this will offend you. But sometimes we give according to our ability and sometimes beyond our ability. How do we do that? Sacrificial giving. He said that. Sacrifice. I didn't sign up for any sacrifice. I signed up to be blessed. I, I signed up to have, uh, you know, abundance and, and have my needs met and have an excess. And Sometimes God calls us to give sacrificially. Well, I was going to take this money and do that, but you know what? Instead, I'm going to sow it into the kingdom for missions. Well, I was going to buy myself a really nice one of these, but instead, I'm going to sell that, and I'm going to give it to the, 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 the persecuted church. Or I got three of those, and I don't need them, so I'm going to sell my best one, and I'm going to sow that into the kingdom, and, I, and I'm going to give it to Israel while they're in. Are you getting me? Now, God needs to be the one to initiate the sacrificial giving. I can't say, Ricky, you're going to give sacrificially tonight. That's not, you know, poor Ricky. But, you know, it's not something we can put on another person. Hello? It's something that God has to initiate. But sometimes we give according to our ability, and sometimes we give sacrificially. If all we ever do is give out of our excess, how much faith is really involved in our giving? If all we do is give out of our excess, there it's back to the widow's might. And, and Mark, the, you know, we looked at it there that, that, you know, she gave all that she had. Was that a sacrifice? Absolutely. That's why Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. So don't say, well, I don't have much, so I can't be a big giver. If God moves upon your heart, you give what God says. Okay? So the third principle is this. Uh, we, we should give according to our ability. Sometimes we give sacrificially. Number three, our giving should never be coerced. If anyone's making you feel guilty or forcing you or going on and on or saying, you know, well, they want to hold you upside down and shake you to see what comes out of the, your pockets, that's not, that's not proper in the church of Jesus Christ. It says here, what? That for I testified that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily. Say voluntarily. voluntarily. That means they weren't forced. They weren't coerced. They weren't made. They, they, they didn't have, you know, the church police come and say, let me see your W-2. And how come, you know, your giving records don't match up? No, that's not proper. Some of you look scared now. Do you know in, in, in the Jewish temple, they do that? They ask to see your, your, your W-2 so they can match up your temple tax? In some of the traditional Jewish, and now you all look happy to be Christians today. <laughs> but, but that's not what we do in the body of Christ. We, if we need to force people to give, then God's not in it. 
Anytime we've taken an offering, a special offering up here for something, it's just amazing how, what a giving place this is. You know, we raised, that, that Sunday we took an offering for Israel, we raised over $5,000 for Israel on that Sunday. God is pleased with that. Don't be surprised when this place fills up, when God moves, when people get saved, when we water baptize 35 people on Sunday. Don't be surprised by any of that. Amen? That's God smiling down on a generous people. So giving should never be conversed. They gave voluntarily. Those who beg or leverage or use showmanship or emotionalism to guilt people and fleece the people of God will have a special place in hell because their God is mammon and that doesn't belong in the house of God. Man, I'm preaching a lot better than you're shouting tonight. So verse four here, because we're all squeezed out on verse three, it says, beginning, he says, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And I want to bring out a couple things here. Paul's testimony about these Macedonian churches, this Corinthian group here, was that, you know, they were, they were in no way forced to give, but instead they were actually forceful in wanting to participate in the giving. Look at what it's saying there. They begged us with much urging. So they weren't forced to give. They were forceful about, hey, we want to be part of this. And we're going to see as we continue to study this and, and go through chapter 8 that they were the first church to get on board with this. So the Gentiles coming to the rescue of the Jews here, solidifying, galvanizing the body of Christ. Uh, but what they were doing is they weren't forced to give, but they were forceful and wanting to, to, to participate. The giving is framed as, listen to what he says here, the support of the saints. And that's what I want you to get today. When we give to Israel, when we give to the, the persecuted church, when we give to the Gambia, when we give to missions, when we support ministries and missionaries, we are supporting the saints. And that goes back to what Kim read about the body of Christ because every part's important. And if, we, if one part is suffering, we're all suffering. We should ask ourselves, what am I doing right now to support the saints? Those believers in Jerusalem were desperate. They were in poverty. They were in, in great need. And here are these Gentiles coming to the rescue and they're forceful about wanting to participate. Verse five shows the proper spiritual order for giving in the kingdom. Listen to this. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in this gracious work as well. So here's the proper order for giving. It says, uh, you know, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves, that's important, and they gave themselves who? To the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us. So Many people give money, give labor, give to charitable organizations. They help the poor. They feed the hungry. They even give to animals. You see some of those commercials they have on TV for animals? Man, you see some little poor dog just shivering them. Man, if that don't hit you right in the feelers, you're not even alive. 
You know, I'm like seeing them. It's just amazing. Like, you just feel so compelled to, you know, want to do something. And people give all the time. They give to these charitable organizations and to hungry people. And you see some of those commercials with starving children. I mean, if that doesn't move you, something's wrong with your faith. Something's wrong. Now, I realize that some of these organizations are not reputable. And you got to be careful about, you know, giving out of emotionalism. But understand, you know, there are people who give to all these things or they wouldn't put the commercials on, okay? So I want you to know, people who give and they, they give money, they give labor, they give their help, they feed the poor, the hungry, they, they don't make donations. Uh, you know, sometimes you can do it with the wrong motives and it's spiritually out of order. And it has no eternal reward. Here's what brings an eternal reward. Paul notes what? First, they gave themselves to the Lord. Did you hear that? Before you give anything, your time, your energy, your money to anyone, you have to first give yourself to the Lord if your giving is going to please the Lord. That's the right spiritual order. We have to give ourselves to God first and have a valid relationship with Jesus Christ or our giving is out of order and it doesn't bring a reward. There's nobody in heaven today that, rece- that refused Jesus Christ but went to heaven because they gave money to the poor puppies on the TV commercial. Oh, well, you get in. You know, you're a nice person. No, we have to first give ourselves to the Lord. And this is what I want you to get. You can do all the works and you can give all the money and you could be a philanthropist and you could give, you know, millions and billions. But listen, if you haven't given yourself to the Lord, there's no eternal reward waiting for you on the other side of heaven. It's all dead works. It's all meaningless. The person who throws the big checks around, even in church, but really isn't even saved, you know, that person is out of order. God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want your check. Maybe some churches do. Maybe some preachers do. But we don't want your dirty money. No, get saved first. I've seen people in churches that weren't even saved and the pastors knew it, but they were big givers, so they tolerated their sin and ignored their spiritual state. And I want you to know, as a young pastor, as a young preacher, it made me sick. First, we give ourselves to God. Or our giving is just self-centered. It's meaningless. The person that throws the big checks around doesn't impress God, and he shouldn't impress us. We should be more concerned with their souls than their wallets. The person who serves mankind but refuses to serve the God who created mankind is not pleasing to God. Well, I give to save the whales, and I give to save the spotted owl, and I give to this group and that group and this group. Great. It's, it's nice. It's a, it's, a, it's a good work. But if you haven't given yourself to the creator and all you do is serve the creation, at the end of your life, there's going to be a big, sad surprise. I remember a person, you know, that had a Christian ministry shirt on and something about, you know, I I think Habitat for Humanity or something. And I thought, oh, they must be a Christian. So, you know, oh, you've been to Habitat for, yeah, I built the house, I did all this, I went on the, there was someone went on the mission field and I'm like getting to talk to them and they're not even saved. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, I'm glad you went, and I hope God touched you, and you watched God move, but something inside me was like, that's, that's out of order. That, that's the cart without the horse. 
Forget about before the horse. So we've got to give ourselves to the Lord first. So I want to say that to us. We need to be right with God in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, giving doesn't matter. And as a, as a Christian trying to evangelize others, don't tell them about giving. Don't talk about tithing. Don't, you know, all this stuff. Tell them about the fact that Jesus died for them and rose on the third day and they can be saved, amen? <laughs> don't, you know, people want to talk about, well, you give money to the church. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about where you're going when you're sucking your last breath, okay? Amen. Let's get focused on it because the word focuses on it. So uh, they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then it says this, and to us by the will of God. Now, that's interesting. When Paul says to us, he's talking about the apostolic team and the ministers there. He's saying they gave themselves to the Lord. That was number one. But number two was they gave themselves to us by the will of God. After being made right with God, our secondary responsibility is to find our place in the body of Christ. There again, people who throw the big checks around but are not part of a local church family, who don't sit under leadership, who don't sit under the anointing, something is out of order there. Well, I'm a Christian and I'm a big giver, but I don't go to church anywhere. Well, something's wrong with your relationship with God because you're part of the body of Christ, the family of God, yet you've purposefully estranged yourself from it and want to hide behind your giving as a good work to make you feel better about the fact that you're out of order. My giving to others is out of order if I refuse to give myself to serving Jesus and being part of his body. This is what this looks like in real life. I'm a believer, but I don't go to church and I don't submit to God-ordained leadership in the church or advance the kingdom of God or support missions, but I give to charity. There again, it's a dead work. It's probably better than robbing a liquor store, but... It's not going to bring an eternal reward. Some of you are thinking about that. (laughs) So note the phrase at the end of this verse here. I want to read it to you uh, one last time. And this, not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, it's important, and to us by the will of God. So they were submitted to the church, took their place in the body of Christ. They submitted to God-ordained leadership. And it says here, so... They gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work. So the last little part there that you can miss is they gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Say the will of God. This is important. Paul understood he wasn't a king, he wasn't a ruler, he wasn't a master or a tyrant. He had no right to force people in the body of Christ to give. Even the apostle Paul, uh, being who he was, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, was humble enough to realize who he wasn't. These people didn't give because Paul made them, because he twisted their arm, because the apostle said so. They gave because it was the will of God. And that's what we understand. Our giving to be right means that we have to be right with God. We have to be submitted to God-ordained leadership. And we have to give when God prompts us to give. As we're able, and if he prompts us to give sacrificially, sacrificially, but never because we're coerced to give by man. And I hope you're getting all this. If you leave New York and you flee to a free state like everybody does... Like, I'm I'm waiting to see who's retiring because I'm not going to see you anymore. 
But when you go and you need to find another church, make sure you find a church that doesn't coerce and doesn't, you know, try and fleece the people and make sure that, you know, the leadership there recognizes that it's by the will of God, not by the decrees of men. Okay? Verse 6 is all about Titus being involved in the administrative aspects of raising this offering. So Titus was the go-between. He had went out for Paul. He had encouraged the Corinthians to, you know, raise up an offering for Jerusalem uh, and how that all worked. He was involved in the administrative aspects of it. And all verse 6 is doing is saying Paul's just reaffirming the fact that Titus is going to be involved in continuing to take up the offering and to bringing it to Jerusalem and that, uh, you know, Titus is the go-between and Paul's seal of affirmation is on him. And that's the last part of verse 6 and that's all we're going to cover tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you tonight for challenging us uh, to understand we're part of the body of Christ. We're not a solo act. We're not individuals. Even as a local church, it's not, you know, us against all the other churches. We are part of the body of Christ, the family of God. Take away all competition and all uh, division that would separate your people, whether it's culture or continental divides or philosophical things. Lord, every genuine member of the body of Christ is my brother and my sister. And help me have an elevated level of care and concern for them to treat them like family and not to treat them like they were not a part of God's very own family. God, teach us to be generous. Teach us to give liberally. Teach us when you prompt us, Lord God, by your will to give sacrificially. Lord, and show us, Lord God, how you bless us and prosper us and that it is the grace of God that allows us to be a blessing to others. Let us enjoy that status, Lord God, because it's a privilege and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.